Now it's working. Should I start over? <laughs> Israel provides the evidence. So when Jesus says, you are my witnesses, he actually doesn't say that. You will be my witnesses. He's not telling us that it's our job to persuade anyone of anything. That's not the witness's job. That's the job of the attorney. And suddenly I realized, what was also pretty obvious in the text, that this is a court case analogy. Who's on trial here? It's actually Jesus is on trial. People are making a decision about Jesus. There's an accuser. There is an advocate. These are words in the Bible that are actually coming straight out of the legal field of the first century. The Holy Spirit is the advocate. Then, as now, a name that can be used for a lawyer. There's a jury. Those are all the undecided people who need to be persuaded. But it's not the witness's job to convince. It's the witness's job to provide the evidence. To be there when it happens. So that when they're asked, they can tell what they've experienced. And suddenly the whole topic of witness sounded different. We try so hard to be the attorney. We think it's all on us if we haven't figured out how to persuade somebody. But in a court case, things would be going sideways if the witnesses would turn to the jury and passionately plead with the jury to reach a certain verdict when their job is to provide the evidence. And then I started reading Acts with that perspective in mind and encountered Acts 2, 42 to 47. A description of the early church's primary activities, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then it talked about all the things that emerged out of that. And yes, there were signs and wonders. But the signs and wonders weren't producing the evangelistic success. The signs and wonders were outcomes of devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And the final outcome on that list in Acts chapter 2 was the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And I had spent so much time feeling guilty for not being effectively adding people to the kingdom of God when all along it was not my job. It's what the Holy Spirit does when the church devotes itself to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We can do that. We are doing that. These are tough times for the church. There's a lot more people walking away from church these days than being drawn into it in this country. Our job is not to put more and more and more pressure on more and more people to see if we can figure out how to get just as many coming in as are walking away. It's to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers effectively so that we're not the part of the problem, but we're the evidence that God has a solution. So as the world tears itself apart by pitting themselves against each other and taking sides and demonizing. 
We love one another. Not only each other in this room, but we love those Christians who are a little bit more progressive than we are, and we love those Christians who are a little bit more conservative than we are, because there's something a whole lot more important going on here than trying to win a culture war. And that's to be faithful servants of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And we are. We are witnesses. We haven't always been really great witnesses. The evidence hasn't necessarily always pointed people to Jesus. But that's our mission. And as we devote ourselves to that, as we continue faithfully to do what we're called to do, we can trust God to figure out when it's time for signs and wonders. And when that's going to be expressed in selling what we have and giving to the poor. And when it expresses itself in the meals we share with one another and the oneness of heart. Just read through Acts 2, 42 to 47. You'll see the whole list of things that happened. But God added to their number. I've had experiences where I've actually been involved in what I used to think was evangelism. But most effectively is not all the convincing that we try to do. It's to be trustworthy, to be believable. It's to be who God calls us to be. So I have all sorts of stories. I could tell a few, but you might have to ask questions to get them. So that's my part. Let's ask those questions. Um, and, and I'm just, I'll start off here, and then a, a couple people that can raise your hands. Um, we're not going to do a text in just for time. Um, but in regard to that persuasion or that convincing, uh, where's the line between witnessing and convincing? I think we do what God calls us to do. And there are going to be people who are actually really effective at making a case in such a way that it doesn't push people against the wall and tell them they must be really stupid because they don't agree with me. Like, I was convinced that my primary role when I was a university student was to be smarter than my professors so that my arguments were better than theirs were, so that if they didn't believe, at least I could accuse them of not being smart enough. And it doesn't take a whole lot in life to realize that convincing everybody else to believe the way you do is not the smartest way to live. If you haven't figured that out yet, just get married. <laughs> so it's not my job to get everybody to believe the way I do, but I, there are times when bearing witness is the right thing to do. And I don't think we're going to talk less if we do it Jesus' way mm. than if we do it the way I thought I was supposed to do it. We just talk more charitably and more helpfully, and we'll leave the results to God. So there can be people who are gifted at what we call apologetics or evangelistic presentation, and we bless them for it, but we don't let ourselves be guilted by the fact that we're not all doing it the same way. Yeah, no. yeah. that's good. Go ahead and raise your hand. I'll bring a mic to you. I'll hold it awkwardly in front of your face. I will not let go of it. Questions around witnessing. So I was uh, raised in a tradition that told me that evangelism was basically the primary role of the church. As you look at the New Testament, 
do you see witnessing as a primary role of the church or is witnessing something that is sort of a secondary um, ancillary role and something else being really the, the primary role? So I would say that the right kind of witnessing, that is being the evidence that God is changing the world, is really central. But trying to go around seeing if you can convince more and more people to believe, I, don't, I wouldn't put it as a first priority or a second or a third or anything else. It's not on a list of priorities. It's just one of the ways that God might use us to draw people towards the kingdom. But how do I answer this? When we are faithful people of the kingdom, we are witnesses. So it, it's, it's never not important. It's just the better way to do it. The early church did, in fact, occasionally strategize to figure out how to get missionaries from here to there and how to plant churches. They did that, some of it. You see that in the book of Acts. But you can read the, all the letters of Paul put together, and you won't find a single place where Paul ever tried to convince them that they should be evangelists. Hmm. Well, maybe the one exception is when Paul tells Timothy to be, do the work of an evangelist because that was his calling. But when he wrote to churches, he never said, start an evangelistic program. He never said, try to win your neighbors for Christ. He never said, uh, see if you can transform your city. Like, he just didn't have to tell them to do that. He just called them to be faithful followers of Jesus. And Jesus led them into the ways in which they could be effective. Another question. Thanks, Trevor. Honor. <laughs> uh, now, um, I was curious, you said you, you spent a lot of your time uh, years ago in what the church would call evangelism. Yeah. Uh, I was curious what those things were like. A lot of people who were raised in the church probably had a lot of those as well. Yeah. Um, how do you contrast witnessing now with what that was, or maybe what were some of those experiences? That you did? Okay, uh, first of all, I'm not going to critique any church that effectively uses a good program. If it's faithful to the gospel, if it respects people, if it works for you, use it. I'm not going to critique the churches that have used that. But what tends to happen is something works somewhere, and so it becomes a canned product, and then it's, and it's sent around the world, and everybody tries to use it, and it doesn't work everywhere else, uh, and it doesn't get introduced very well. So in the church that I grew up, uh, we first tried four spiritual laws, except you first have to find people, so you, you, you confront all the people that you suspect might not know Jesus yet, and, and you have this canned approach, and it just never caught on. And then we tried another approach that was developed somewhere in Florida, and you walk up to a total stranger, and you say, if you were going to die tonight, and you uh, met St. Peter at the pearly gates, and he asked you, what have you ever done that should deserve heaven? Some of you have heard this. It was, it was an approach. It worked somewhere, and it never worked where we were. And then we tried what was called friendship evangelism, except we didn't have any non-Christian friends because we were warned against having non-Christian friends. <laughs> and then we read a book called Witnessing Made Easy, and it had a really good strategy in it because when we presented the gospel, then as we were getting to the part where we asked them if they wanted to accept Jesus, we're supposed to start nodding our head in front of them because if we do, then it would be easier for them to do it. And then it would be easier for them to say yes. And, and if I had enough time, I'd tell you what happened in Selland Arena when my boys were six and eight years old. But uh, you have to ask about that one. So yeah, there's strategies that sometimes work somewhere. And... Uh, you just can them and try and convince everyone else to do them, and they often fall flat. 
And then Tim, one question from online. Um, to better understand and equip ourselves outside of a Sunday gathering, uh, what are some helpful tips to read scripture so that we can be genuine witnesses to the good news that we put our trust in? Helpful tips to reading scripture. Yeah, so I think how okay, are we, how, outside of this, how are we letting the scriptures inform yeah. us in this? I mean, that's a huge topic, but I guess a really quick, simple answer is if we read the Bible as God's story of loving us and transforming the world, and we fall in love with the God who loves us, we'll be in a better position to present an image of God that people might be attracted to than if we look at the Bible and get all our doctrines lined up, and then we try and prove that God's going to send you to hell if you don't yeah. make a decision for Jesus. Uh, so our doctrines may be right or wrong, but it's not really a very effective approach to inviting people to join something that's worth being a part of. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Maybe one last question to take us home into the turkey. All right, so reading this from Jesus, and he says, you know, you will be my witnesses. How do you reconcile this scripture with what he says in the Great Commission where he said, go forth? Yeah. And so it's more of an active thing. Yeah. Okay, so really briefly, the Great Commission, translated literally, is make disciples. But making disciples has parts, and part of it is going, part of it is baptizing, part of it is teaching. So as we go about our lives uh, as a church, the church is involved in the task of inviting more people to follow Jesus. And, and baptism is part of it, because that's how we're initiated into the body of Christ. And teaching is ongoing before and after baptism, because being disciples means learners, etc., etc. And the going part, sometimes it means get out there and be somewhere where you otherwise wouldn't have gone because the Spirit's sending you there. And that happened in Acts. They sent them from Antioch off to Cyprus and Antioch of Pisidia and Asia and all over the world. But often it's just go to work and go to school and go to the neighbor and go care for Fresno. And uh, so going doesn't always mean going, going as far as possible. Can we thank Tim for being with us this morning?